Good morning, Grace. Our scripture this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Thanks, Shanna. If you get a if you get a chance, um, pull one of the uh, worship team aside later today and just tell them how much you appreciate their, them serving us each week. It's pretty awesome. I, I've sat down at a number of instruments over my life, and none of them sound quite like what they do when these guys play them. Very thankful for that. So, <clears throat> if you've read James and given any meaningful thought to it. Uh, you notice that there's uh, there's something tricky about making sense of it. There, there's a it, it's it, in what it says. It's largely straightforward, and and we're all thankful for that. But one of the trickiest parts is rightly discerning if and where there are connections between the the, the different pastoral charges that he gives. So if you haven't noticed this already, go go home later this afternoon. Just read James chapter 1, and you'll see mostly by paragraph. The question to ask is, how does this paragraph relate to that paragraph relate to that paragraph? Is there a connection between them or not? So for instance, if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to James. And I just want you to see, last week I preached on James chapter 1, 2 through 4. And it says this, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, which comes through the trials, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's a pretty significant statement. The bottom line is, when hard things come into your life, count them all joy, because God's using them for great things. Okay, so the question is, how, if at all, is that related to this passage? Is is this just a, a separate passage? Uh, James knew in one sense that the people to whom he was writing were dealing with trials and he wanted to give them some wisdom for that. And then in a totally separate sense, he knew that they had a lot of situations they didn't quite know how to navigate. And so he wanted to talk to them about wisdom separately. Does that make sense? Is there a connection between 2 through 4 and 5 through 8 or not? There, is strong, there are strong textual clues here uh, that suggest James did mean to connect these two passages for his readers, ours for this week and ours from last week. And yet we aren't sure, <laughs> uh, and we're even less sure in other passages. And so here's something you can pray for me for and even yourself for. We need to be extra careful to avoid making connections in James that aren't there, but we need to be equally careful not to miss ones that are. So be in prayer for that, if you would, as I seek to preach faithfully each week and as you seek to read and apply faithfully each week. But the good news is this. I'm fairly confident there is a connection between these two. In other words, hey, count your trials as all Joy, because you know God's doing great things through them. You think, well, okay, but how do I do that? (laughs) Well, James says, if any of you then lacks wisdom, which we do, to know how to count our trials is all joy, 
Let me, let me share some stuff about wisdom with you. So here's the good news. Uh, whatever connection or non-connection James has in mind between verses 4 and 5, we do need wisdom to navigate our trials and joy, as well as every other aspect of our lives. So this passage is good news either way. In other words, whatever the connection James had in mind between 4 and 5, we need wisdom every minute of every day, and so this passage is of great practical help to all of us who long, and, and I hope you've noticed this, be not hearers only, to all those who long not just to hear God's word, not even just to, to hear it and understand it, not even just to hear it and understand it and have a measure of appreciation for it, but to have all of those things and then to do it. The goal of Bible study isn't Bible study. The goal of Bible study is a transformed life that comes from the renewing of your mind that comes from Bible study. This passage is great help to all those who are after that. So here, in simplest terms, I try to do this in every sermon. Give it to you in just a minute. You heard the kids in their baptism. I, I listen a little bit more in church. I want you to listen a little bit more in church. And, but if you don't, uh, Jesus is sufficient. Um, but if you hear one thing, hear this. In simplest terms, here's the heart of this passage in the sermon. Two clauses. First, knowing how to obey any of God's commands, and especially the really hard ones, like counting your trials as all joy, that requires wisdom that is not native to us. So that's the first clause. Knowing how to obey God in anything that he has told us to requires a wisdom that we don't naturally have in us. That's the first clause. Here's the second. Whole sermon in two clauses. Graciously, though, in our passage for this morning, we find a promise from God to give the, the wisdom we need to all who seek it from him in faith. There's the whole sermon. Uh, so if you're going to listen a little bit more, keep listening. But uh, hopefully at least you heard that carefully and clearly. To see all of this, we're going to consider six wisdom principles in James 1, 5 through 8. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would help us three things. See our need for wisdom. Seek it in the one place that it is to be found, and then live our lives based entirely upon it. God, thank you that you are a God who is gracious and merciful and kind and loving and wise beyond measure. Thank you as well that you are pleased through Jesus Christ our Lord to give all of those things in abundance beyond what we could ask for or imagine to all whose hope is in Jesus. May that be the case ever, even more this morning than it has been for us. Whatever measure of wisdom you've granted, we, we pray that we would know that that's but a drop in the bucket of the wisdom you possess and, and love to give to us. So let us be people who long for wisdom and who look for it where it is to be found. And having found it in you, we seek to live every minute of every day in light of it. We thank you that the Spirit is already doing that good work in all whose hope is in you. We love that that too is a part of the good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Should a single mom use her insurance money from a car accident to have the wrecked car fixed up, financially break even, or stretch herself by buying something more reliable? Am I called to ministry? And if so, to what specific ministry and what training for that ministry and when? Should a struggling family, a family that's already struggling, adopt a large group of kids who desperately need a godly family and 
home? How should we handle issues related to COVID in our church and in our home when my wife and other members see things so differently than I do? How do you handle the funeral of a baby, of unbelieving parents whose life was avoidably cut short? Here's one of my favorites. This is real. Uh, in Tanzania, the, as I was training pastors, this is what they asked. Should a married woman, a, a woman married to a man, also marry another woman in a, in a non-romantic way to bring her under the protection of her husband, knowing that if she doesn't, this woman will likely face severe hardship in life? Should I go to college? And if so, where and why? And to study what? What are my spiritual gifts and how do I use them to strengthen the church? How should we educate our children? And of course, why is God allowing me to suffer for so long, so much? And what am I supposed to do about it? These are all questions of wisdom. They're just a few of the countless real-life situations we encounter that require a kind of wisdom that once you get into that situation, you desperately want, but often lack. Indeed, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians three eighteen and 19, concerning the wisdom that is in us naturally. He says this, and hear this, let no one deceive himself. Don't deceive yourselves, Grace. If anyone among you thinks that you are wise or he is wise in this age, let him become a fool. Because before you can become wise, you have to become a fool. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. So for anyone then who has longed to know the wisdom of God for a particular situation, verse 5 begins with words, therefore, that ought to ring true to all of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you have felt a decided lack of wisdom over the course of the last two years? Oh, my goodness. Pastor Mike and I have joked regularly that we need to get pastoral polos that say, I don't know, on them. (laughs) What should we do about this? I don't know. That's a great question. Grace, I hope it's obvious to you that anyone who has tried to follow Jesus, if you have tried to follow Jesus, truly tried to follow him, not, not just prayed a prayer or said his name or something, but truly tried to live as Jesus has called you to live, For three minutes, just three minutes. If you've tried that for three minutes, you've felt both the need for and lack of wisdom. And anyone who has tried to follow Jesus through trials, through three minutes of hardship, has felt both even more acutely. For those reasons, James... James's words here serve as a beacon of light for all who have experienced the uncomfortable feeling of wanting to do good, but not know exactly what that means. How many times have you thought, man, I just, God, I just want to honor you here. If you've not thought that, I got a different sermon for you later. But for those of you who just, God, I, I want to honor you in this. My, my kid is, I, I think he's, you know, <laughs> my kid is hard. How do I honor you in this? I, I feel so stretched and stressed and <clears throat> my parents are struggling. My, my coworkers are un, unbearable. I, what does it look like to be gracious to them but not enable their shenanigans? That's a fun word to say. <laughs> Got to work that in each sermon. <clears throat> but God, I just want to honor you. I, 
but I don't know how. Help me to know how. Your word is sufficient. I believe that. But what does it mean here, now? James's words are awesome for anybody who's ever felt that. Before getting to the practical side of things, like what does that actually mean in real life, let me share with you a few key passages. I want to read just four passages that really shape a definition of wisdom. What do I mean by wisdom? What, more importantly, what does James mean by wisdom? Four, four passages over the course of the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6. This is Moses. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom. The, the wisdom that God gave to Moses, and then, or the, the, the knowledge, the insight, the instruction that God gave to Moses, and he passed on to the people of God, that will be your wisdom for understanding and, and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Second Chronicles 1, 7 to 10. Probably, probably familiar with many of you. And that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before this people. Who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Proverbs 1, 2 through 4. No wisdom, or to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Embedded in there is an awful lot about wisdom. And then in just a a couple of chapters, James will say to us in chapter 3, verse 17, the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. So let's mesh all of these together. And here's what I think you come up with. When we combine these passages and the others in the Bible that speak to what wisdom is biblically, Wisdom, here it is, wisdom is both the means by which we come to know God's will and the means by which we know how to obey it. It's the means by which we come to know what God wants and how to put it into practice, how how to live in obedience to it. Grace, it takes humility to know that you need wisdom. The proud fool believes he has everything figured out. But a humble child of God knows that the life he is created for and called to is beyond his understanding and strength. Therefore, humility always precedes wisdom. Humility always precedes wisdom. And that's another reason then to count our trials as all joy. I do think, like I said, there's a connection between 2 through 4 and 5 through 8, and this is part of it. It's another reason to count trials as all joy. If, if you want to honor God with your life, you need wisdom. And if you want wisdom, you need humility. And where does humility often come from? Trials. Trials are inherently humbling. And so through trials comes humility. And through humility comes wisdom. And through wisdom, glory to God. That's pretty awesome. The first two wisdom principles. I got six for you. Here's the first two. I already gave them to you in what I just said. Wisdom is necessary to honor God, and you lack it naturally. (laughs) You're not born with it. Wisdom is necessary to honor God, but we lack it. The next two wisdom principles that we need to grasp from James are, in light of what wisdom is, wisdom is precious and to be earnestly sought. And then 
Fourth, it is found in God alone. The third wisdom principle is that wisdom is precious and to be earnestly sought. And the fourth is that it is found in God alone. That it is precious and earnestly to be sought is implied all over in James and explicit elsewhere in the Bible, especially in Proverbs. Proverbs 4, 7 and 9 says, The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. I love that. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. Wisdom. <clears throat> she will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. <clears throat> Proverbs eight ten through 11. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. That's remarkable. It's almost impossible to overstate the value that the Bible places on wisdom. I want you to think about that for a second. Think of the things in 2021 and now into 2022 that you have counted valuable. How do you know what you've counted valuable? Think of the things that you have striven for, that you've worked hard to get. Ask yourself, what did I work the hardest to get last year? What did I put the bulk of my energy into? Let me ask that same question a few other ways. What did you most earnestly seek? Was it health? Was it your health? That was a big deal, especially in our country in the last year or two. Financial gain? Did you strive the most for financial gain or stability? Success in sports? Adventure? Relationships, what did you give the bulk of your effort and energy to in this last year? That's what you value. That's what is precious to you. Going after each of those things might have a place in the life of a Christian, but that place should always be behind wisdom, often far behind wisdom. None of them compare in value to wisdom, even as none of them are rightly found or engaged in apart from wisdom. We were made to glorify God and and enjoy him forever. That's your purpose for living. That's the reason that you were made. That, That is the significance of your life, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is your singular purpose for existence. How you do that, knowing how to do that, knowing how to live that out requires wisdom. Grace, we do not get to decide on our own how to glorify God. You were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We do not get to decide on our own what that means. No amount of semi-sanctified common sense can tell us. In other words, wisdom is so valuable, more than all the money, more than all the jewels, more than all the possessions, more than all the relationships in the world, because gaining it is the only way to have a life of meaning and significance, to live a life honoring to God, to fulfill the very purpose for which you exist. All of that comes from wisdom, the Bible tells us. Grace, here's a trustworthy saying. Kids, get this. You're not naturally wise. The Bible tells you that as children, you think you're wise. You're wise in your own eyes, just like we are as adults. But kids especially lack wisdom. A huge part of parenting is the charge to give wisdom to your kids. Here's a trustworthy saying, worthy of acceptance. Tell me how much you value wisdom, and I'll tell you how much you love God. You tell me how much you value wisdom, and I'll tell you how much you love God. It's one thing to say, I love God. 
but your desire for wisdom, which is the knowledge of how to love God, tells me more about it than anything you might say. For wisdom is necessary for love. That's a big deal. It's very countercultural today. Wisdom is necessary for love. So we are right then to prize wisdom highly and to seek after it where it may be found. But where do we find wisdom? Let's, let's say for a minute you're with me so far that I'm, I'm rightly describing what wisdom is and that we lack it and how precious it is and that we need it to honor God and to fulfill the purpose for which we were made. Let's say you're with me on all that. The next logical question then is, well, where do I get it? Right? Consider the way Job presents the question. Really encourage you to look this up later. It's Job 28, 12 to 23. He asks the same question. If, if that's true, if wisdom is this and for this, if we need wisdom in these ways and it is this precious, he says, Job 28, 12, but where shall wisdom be found? Great question, Job. And where is this place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, the worth of wisdom, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. Reminds me of like one of those Dr. Seuss books. Are you my mother? Or maybe that's not Dr. Seuss. The deep says, it's not found in me. I am not. I am not wisdom. It's not found here. And the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, it's precious onyx in, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. You gotta probably many of these things are not things you value a lot right now. Maybe they are, I don't know. But you got to put whatever it is that you value in this place. <laughs> it's not found in any of those things or in any of those places. And it is more value than all of them. And so Job goes on. From where then does wisdom come? If it's not in the deeps or the heights, if you can't buy it with the most precious things available to us, where then does wisdom come? From where does it come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abandon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. Here it is, verse 23. God understands the way to it. He knows its place. James stated more succinctly what Job knew centuries earlier. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. We should seek wisdom in God. Because all wisdom belongs to God and to God alone. Proverbs 2, 6 through 7 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. One of the most helpful passages in all of the Bible to take everything that we've covered so far is Romans eleven thirty three. Paul, having just explained the glorious eternal plan of God to save the world through Jesus Christ, broke out in wisdom. So how, how can God be just and the justifier? How can he bring in those who are not children of Abraham as children of Abraham? How can God save those who are rebellious against him? He had explained it in verses 1 through 11, or chapters 1 through 11, and then he wraps it up declaring, oh, the depth of 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unscrutable his ways. Paul got it. He understood that this wisdom that belongs to God and to God alone is worthy of praise and worship. We need wisdom to live lives of obedience, meaning, and love. This makes wisdom precious beyond measure. The problem, again, is that it is not in us. It's not, it does not belong to us on our own. It is found in God alone, and in him it is found in unlimited quantities. Grace, you need to break out in praise. What a, what a glorious God. And then we ask him, God, James tells us, open the storehouse of wisdom. God, would you please open that for me when we need it? Well, on top of all of this, there's something else that I, I need to help you understand in, in these wisdom principles. It's something that's very clear in Greek, but not in English. Asking God for wisdom, asking wisdom from God, is a command in this passage in James, not a suggestion. To be clear, James knows his readers lack wisdom. He's not really wondering if any of you lack, as if they might not. He knows that they lack wisdom, and so he commands them to seek it from God. To translate the meaning of this passage, then, as clearly as I know how, would read something like this. Your trials have helped you to see that you lack wisdom. You must, therefore, seek wisdom in God to know how to honor him in these trials. That is a part of what it means to be a doer and not merely a hearer of God's word. We need to know not only that wisdom is precious, not only that it is found in God, not only that we lack it, not only that we should ask him for it, but we must actually earnestly seek it from God. Wisdom is precious and therefore earnestly to be sought and found in God alone. Those are the first four principles. I have a wise friend. He's probably, if not the most, one of the most wise people I know. But because he is particularly wise, many people are seeking after his wisdom. And as a result, he has to guard his time more than most of the people I know. As you can probably imagine then, he's sometimes hard to get a hold of and often hard to get a quick reply from. Truly understanding the value of wisdom, wanting it appropriately, knowing where it is to be found, and going after it, that's all one thing. Having access to it exactly when you need it is something different. God has all wisdom, but we might ask, how frequently and freely does he offer it? Look again at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives, do you see it? Generously to all without, without reproach, and it will be given to him. How awesome is that? We need wisdom to fulfill the very purpose for which we were made. We don't have it on our own. It is therefore highly valuable and to be sought after earnestly. It is found in God alone, and God gives it generously and without reproach to all who ask whenever they ask. Yet it's so often the case with God, his mercy and grace go beyond whatever we could even ask for or imagine. To give wisdom generously means that he does so liberally, freely. I love how one commentator worded it. God's generosity carries the idea of singleness of heart. When we come to God and ask him for wisdom, he has a singleness of heart is what James says. Of doing, He does something unconditionally and without bargaining. He doesn't 
doesn't bargain with us. When we simply come in our trials to God asking for his help and wisdom, he immediately and single-mindedly gives it to us. In this passage, James tells us of God's disposition towards those who come to him seeking the good of wisdom. But I think we all need to be reminded of this grace. God is not uniquely generous when we come to him for wisdom. Our God is a generous God. Just remember Matthew 7. This is the words of our Lord Jesus. He says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you are you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, give good things to those who ask him? It is so easy to forget that God's disposition is one of generosity and gladness for his people to come to him every time we come. How awesome is it that he has promised to give us wisdom generously when we ask him for it in our times of trial and always. He gives it generously, and he also gives it without reproach. That means that he will never be frustrated with us for asking. Have you ever humbly asked someone for advice only to have them look at you like you're an idiot? Have you ever tried to, have you ever been made to feel bad about having to go back to someone over and over to keep asking for help as you tried to figure something out? God will never do that. He loves it when his people come to him for wisdom. No matter how many times you ask, no matter how childishly you frame the question, and no matter how late in the process you come to God for wisdom, God promises here to receive your request and grant it without reproach. So grace, let us come. Let us not just hear these things and and know that they're true, but let us come to God for wisdom early and often and in full assurance that when we do, he'll give it generously and without reproach. The fifth wisdom principle, again then, in James, is that God is eager to give wisdom to all who seek it in him. Here's the last one, the sixth and final Wisdom principle is that while God gives wisdom generously and without reproach, there is a qualifier, one, a single one. He gives it only to those who ask for, ask him for it in faith. Verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all of his ways. In these couple of verses, James mentions three characteristics of the nature of the faith that God will reward with wisdom, that he gladly responds to. It does not doubt, it is single-minded, and it is stable. Wisdom comes from God, generously and without reproach, to all who seek it from God with the kind of faith that does not doubt. We must not doubt that wisdom belongs to God, that he has all wisdom, and we must not doubt that he will give it as he has promised. To doubt these things is to dishonor God. To ask in faith, then, is not to be like a wave of the sea. Have you ever seen a wave of the sea? It it gets blown and tossed easily by the wind, and then it's gone. It disappears. It is rather like a lighthouse that holds firm through the strongest gale. It is. It does not doubt, and it is single-minded. 
to seek wisdom with the kind of faith that God requires is single-minded. To be double-minded is to believe that there is wisdom to be found outside of God. To have one eye to wisdom on God and one eye to wisdom somewhere else. And to believe that there is wisdom found outside of God, the Bible tells us, is to have two gods. But the kind of single-minded faith that God rewards with wisdom is the kind acknowledges that there is one true God to whom belongs all wisdom. And finally, it is stable. It keeps trusting in God the giver, as the giver of wisdom through every situation and trial. Unstable faith wavers. It comes in and out of belief that God has wisdom and gives it freely to those who seek it from him. Stable faith remains steadfast. The final wisdom principle in this passage is that God gives wisdom only to those who seek it in faith. And that faith does not doubt. It is single-minded and stable. So here's the question. Are you going through a trial? Do you long to honor God in that trial but aren't sure how? If not a trial, is there some aspect of your life that you're unsure of on how to honor God in it? If any of those things are true of you, and they are true of all of you, James's message for us is simple. You need wisdom. And the kind of wisdom you need but do not have, James says, is necessary to honor God, precious and beyond measure, found in God alone, What's more, God promises to give that wisdom generously and without reproach to everyone who seeks it in faith. But in conclusion, what does that mean exactly? What what do we do to get that? How does he deliver this? How how does it actually work? How do we not just hear this, but do this? What will it look like? I want to honor God, but I don't know how. So I confess that to God and ask him for wisdom and, and what? Does God's wisdom drop from the sky and Papyrus, do you get an email in three to five business days? Should we expect God to deliver it in a Genesis-like dream? How do we make sure we're not merely hearers of this, but doers? James doesn't go into this aspect of wisdom at all, so I just want to mention it here. I'm just going to state it really quickly. The four components to God's wisdom delivery method are the Bible, the Spirit, Prayer and God's people. Four things. How do you be a doer of this and not merely a hearer? The the Bible, the Holy Spirit, prayer, and God's people. What does that mean? When we recognize our need for wisdom, seeking it in God as James commands means that we quickly grab a hold of our Bibles, for that's the place where he's revealed it to us. We gather our Christian friends, and together we prayerfully ask for the Spirit to guide us in the knowledge of his will as revealed in his word. This isn't flashy. I've often wished in a pastoral setting, I'm sitting there, I'm listening to a really hard situation. They just want to honor God. They're just seeking wisdom. And I wish I had that Staples easy button under my desk. I could just push that. This isn't flashy. Probably rather have the easy button. But it is the means by which God, in his perfect wisdom, has determined to give the wisdom he promises. So let us seek wisdom where it may be found then. Let us remember the gospel when we fail and give thanks for the forgiveness and strength that is ours already by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone.